Hosanna, a fellowship of Christians. And good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well today. Bright, sunny day outside. And we're going to start off by singing a song called Great Things. I'm going to ask you if you are able to stand to please join us in standing as we sing, Come let us worship our King. Come let us bow at his feet, for he has done great things.
Bible tells us that we have been saved by grace. And the Bible tells us that God's grace continues to be poured out upon us. And I'd like for us to look at three quotes about God's grace. John Calvin said, Grace is the free and unmerited favor of God, bestowing upon us blessings that we do not deserve. Jonathan Taylor said, Grace is not a commodity to be rationed out or traded in. It's an inexhaustible wellspring that bubbles up within us, giving us new life. And then John Piper said, Grace is not just forgiveness. Grace is also the empowerment to do what is right. I like that. Grace is the empowerment to do what is right. And I also like where it said that grace is not a commodity to be rationed out or traded in. It's an inexhaustible wellspring that bubbles up within us, giving us new life. God's grace. It's amazing. We've all experienced it. We live with it each and every day. And we're going to sing together, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone.
Yeah. 
Stand up and join us as we sing Ancient Gates. If you can stand. Yeah. 
worship team. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you on this beautiful Sunday morning. Hello to our friends online. It's good to see all of you as well. If you're a guest with us online, there is a form on the website that you can fill out and send it in to us. And if you're a guest here with us this morning, there's some forms out at the Welcome Center that you can fill out and leave with us. You know, how many of you grew up with the song Amazing Grace? Yeah, most every single one of us, right? Or if you haven't or you didn't, you've heard it along the way, right? Once or twice, Jeff said, once or twice, right? But you know, every time I sing it now, wow. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. And then especially when we go to that little chorus, my chains are gone. I've been set free. You know, I'm not saying I'm old. But the older I get, how about that? The older I get, the more meaningful those words are to me. And how much more meaningful that song is to me. Because his grace is for all of us, right? And his grace is free. Let's pray before we take up our offering. God, thank you for your incredible, amazing grace. We thank you for your mercy because they're new every morning. Lord, I thank you for these people here and our friends and family online. Lord, thank you for the grace that you've extended to every single one of us but, Lord, also for the grace that I know these people, that they extend to each other and into our community. So, God, we bless you this morning with our offerings. And, Lord, may they be used to further the work of your kingdom, not only within Hosanna, but beyond these four walls. In Jesus' name, amen. So, ushers, you can pass the offering buckets. Just as a reminder, our Change for Change bucket in the back It's a little bucket that sits back there on a stool all by itself. And every month we drop change into it, loose change. Some people drop dollar bills in it. And what that change for change is going for in the month of July is Christmas in July. Every year in December, we bless a couple families outside of our Hosanna family in the community. We get their names from the Warwick community chest and their families that are in need over the holidays. So we always bless them with grocery gift cards and gift cards for uh, like a Visa gift card that they can buy gifts for their family because a lot of times they don't have the money. So that's what our Change for Change bucket is going for for the month of July. Also today, following our service, we're going to be asking you to leave quietly and as quickly as possible and do all your conversation out in the foyer because our elders, our prayer team members, and some of our staff are going to be praying in here for a healing service. We have seen a lot of needs in our congregation and all of your families throughout the past couple months, and we thought, you know, what better way to honor them and pray for them? So we're going to have a healing service in here following the service today. And can you believe August is right around the corner? August 6th, to be exact, which is our next family potluck. So if you would like to join us, all you need to do is bring a hot and a cold food item to share with the rest of us, and we'll provide the drinks for that. 
So that's Sunday, August 6th. You don't need to sign up. Just come, stay after the service, and we'll have a good time. And it's July, so many of you know our two senior pastors, co-senior pastors, Joanne Kunz and Tony Blair, usually take a break from standing on this platform how many other weeks of the year. So we've been blessed with many several guest speakers over the last several weeks. But the person that's going to be bringing the message this morning isn't really a guest. He's kind of like a permanent member here. I was trying to think how long the McKinney's have been here at church. I've been on staff here for 31 years, if you can believe that. Rick, how long have you been here? 84. 1984. That's a long time. So he's not a guest. He's a beloved member and friend. And after this video, Rick's going to come and bring us the message. We are obsessed, curious, distracted, and fixated. Like an accident on the side of the road, we can't look away. Something or someone has our attention. We are followers. We are all following something. Sports teams, political candidates, natural disasters, breaking news, financial markets, technology trends, famous people. The list never ends. What is your curious obsession? Who or what are you following? Is Jesus on your list? Does he turn in and out of your thoughts? Is he a consideration of who you are and what you do? He should be. Let your heart catch fire with what it means to be a Jesus father. Your life will never be the same. on? All right. It's good to see all, and there we are, now I can see you. This, this, this guy is just packing up. Hold on a minute. See if I can make this work a little bit better. You got a different one there for me? seem to do a little bit better. Great. Thank you, Jeff. All right. Let's start over. Hello, everybody. Good to be here. Hi, hi, hi. If you don't know me, my name's Rick, by the way. All right. <laughs> any of you who may not, any of you who may not know me. Um, I want you to think back to the time when you became a Christian. Remember that time? No, you don't remember? Some of you do remember. Some of you don't. Um, you know, Think about that, and I want, I want a show of hands here for a second. If you accepted Christ, became a Christian when you were a child, would you raise your hand? Raise it high so I can see them. Okay, all right, that's good. All right, great. Okay. If you were a teen, teenager, raise your hand. Oh, quite a few teenagers. Okay, great. If you were an adult, raise your hand. You know, that's amazing. I don't know for sure. I didn't do a count. 
But it's almost like we've got a third, a third, a third. Not quite that, but I mean, it, it's pretty much spread all over you know, at that point. You know, we call ourselves Christians as a general rule, or we may call ourselves uh, someone who you know, is a believer, or uh, you know, there are a couple of different names. But you know, the, the word, the name Christian for followers of Christ, obviously didn't come with the first disciples and those who followed Christ to begin with. In fact, the word Christian, we read in the book of Acts, let's take a look here in the book of Acts, we read that Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. He found him and brought him back to Antioch. And there were a whole, they were there a whole year, meeting with the church and teaching a lot of people. It was at Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. So we're going to go back beyond that just a little bit, some of the first followers of Christ. And what I want us to think about today are the initial disciples, the, the first 12. Obviously, there were more followers of Christ, but the, the, the 12 that we call the 12 disciples, or we may call the, the 12 apostles. And I want us to think about their lives for a few minutes this morning, but we're going to take a step back even beyond that for just a moment, and we're going to start with John, John the Baptist. You may or may not recall that John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus. And when Mary was pregnant with Jesus, she went to see her cousin Elizabeth. And the Bible tells us that when Elizabeth was also pregnant at that point in time with, with John, and the Bible tells us that when Mary came into Elizabeth's presence, that the baby in Elizabeth's womb jumped for joy. There was a recognition at that point. Now, we really don't know how much contact they had with each other while they were growing up. But we know that John went out into the wilderness and he started preaching the gospel of repentance. And he called the religious leaders a brood of vipers. That's a really good way to get on the good side, isn't it? <laughs> and he said to people, you need to repent. You're going the wrong way. And then after you repent, as a sign of the fact that you've made a change in your life, you need to be baptized. So obviously, that's, we all know why it was called John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. If people came and they said, I repent, then he would baptized them. And of course, we all know that one day Jesus came to John, and he said to John, he said, I, I want you to baptize me. And John said, wait a minute. I, you know, I need to be baptized by you. There's no way I should be baptizing you. But Jesus said, yes, you're going to baptize me. And so John did that. And when he came up out of the water, Spirit came down like a, the form of a dove. And there was a voice from heaven that said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The next day, and by the way, we're going to be reading a lot of scripture today. Okay, Just recognize we're going to see a lot of scripture today. The next day, John was with two of his disciples. And he was back at his post with his disciples. What his post was, I have no idea. <laughs> he was back at his post with his disciples who were watching and looked up and saw Jesus walking nearby, and he said, here is God's Passover lamb. 
So the two disciples heard him and went after Jesus. Jesus looked over his shoulder and said to them, what are you doing? You know, what's going on here? What are you after? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said, well, come along. See for yourself. You need to tell where you're staying. He said, come right along. They came and saw where he was living and ended up staying with him for the day. It was late afternoon when this happened. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard John's witness and followed Jesus. First thing he did after finding where Jesus lived was to find his own brother Simon, telling him, we found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. He immediately led him to Jesus. So Jesus took one look up and said, you know, you're John's son, Simon, aren't you? Yeah, I, know, I know who you are. But from now on, we're not going to call you Simon. We're going to call you Cephas or Peter, because that means the rock, and you are going to be a rock. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. When he got there, he ran across Philip and said, come follow me. Philip's hometown was Bethsaida, the same as Andrew and Peter. Philip went and found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote of in the law, the one preached by the prophets. It's Jesus, Joseph's son, the one from Nazareth. And Nathanael said, Nazareth? You've got to be kidding me. But Philip said, come and see for yourself. And when Jesus saw him coming, he said, there's a real Israelite, not a false bone in his body. Nathaniel answered, well, where did you get that idea? You don't know who I am. Jesus answered, well, one day, long before Philip called you here, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus said, you've become a believer simply because I say I saw you one day sitting under a fig tree? Hey, you haven't seen anything yet. Before this is over, you're going to see heaven open and God's angels descending to the son of man and ascending again. So we end up with 12 disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Bartholomew, or Nathaniel, Philip, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Matthew, the tax collector, Simon the zealot, Judas the greater, and Judas Iscariot. What was Jesus' invitation to them? What did he say to them? He said, come, follow me. What did he say? Now, Jesus didn't say, believe in me. He didn't say, ask me to forgive your sins. He didn't say, invite me into your heart. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what he said. He didn't say, follow my doctrine. What was, it, what was his invitation? Come, follow me. That's pretty simple, isn't it? It doesn't get too complex at all. No. And what did these men and others do? They followed him. Now, Jesus didn't say where he was going to go. I mean, come follow me. Where are you going? He didn't tell them where he was going. In fact, as they followed him, when they woke up in the morning, they probably didn't know where they were going to be at that night. Every now and then, Jesus would say to them, we're going to go here, we're going to go there. But they had no guarantee of anything. They left their family. Now, we don't know exactly how many families they had, and if they all had families or not, but they left their families. 
to follow Jesus. Now, if Jesus had said to them, hey, by the way, folks, come follow me, and I'm going to tell you right now, the religious leaders are going to get mad at me, they're going to get mad at you, and I'm going to die on the cross. That might have been too much for them, right? Yeah. See, what? understand this about following me, meaning Jesus. When Jesus said, follow me, he didn't say, let me tell you what's going to happen out there a month or two months or three months or three years. He said, let's wake up today and follow me where I'm going today. And for some reason, they decided to do it. They trusted him. And they decided to follow him. Now, this group of 12, we're going to think about them for a few minutes and think about who they were. They were ordinary people. They were kind of like you, kind of like me. They were ordinary people. Jesus did not pick the elite. Jesus did not select the best educated Jesus did not select those who were the religious leaders. These disciples, think about this for just a minute, okay? Sometimes we have a holier-than-thou image of the 12 disciples. Boom, 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 here they are, you know, these are the special ones. Yeah, they were special in some way, but most of the way they weren't. They were ordinary people who were just like you and just like me. They had some of the same thoughts. They had some of the same urges. They had some of the same desires. Jesus took just regular people. Regular people. And that allows us to know that Jesus loves regular people. (laughs) And he loves us. Because we're just regular, ordinary people. And these ordinary people had different jobs, different occupations. Some of them were fishermen. Andrew and Peter were fishermen. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were fishermen. In fact, it's very possible that they had a business, and they weren't just fishing for themselves, but they had a business, and they maybe hired other people as well, but they were fishermen. We don't know this for a fact, but Thomas, Nathaniel, and Philip may have been fishermen, and the reason we say that is because after Jesus' death and resurrection, when the disciples were out fishing, these three were also fishing, so they may have been fishermen as well. How about Matthew? Matthew was a tax collector. Any of you like to pay your taxes? (laughs) You may remember that in that day, Rome ruled over Judea. And the Romans were really big on taxing the inhabitants. And what they would do is they would hire a local. And they would say to the local person, you... Matthew, there are so many people in this area. This is the population of this area. You are to pay us X number of shekels per person. Now, 
we don't care how you get it. You've got to get it because you are the person who's going to owe it to us. And then Matthew, the tax collector, could go to you and say, now maybe the Romans said you owe two shekels, but you didn't know that. He would say, give me three shekels. And as a result of that, Matthew was a rich man. And when Jesus came to Matthew, the Bible tells us he saw him at his tax collector booth. He said, come follow me. And you know what the Bible says? He left that tax collector booth and he followed him. He left an awful lot behind. So they had differing occupations. Uh, they also had differing politics. So Matthew, the tax collector, worked with the Romans. So not only was he despised because he was robbing his own people, he was despised because he was a collaborator. The Jews hated the Romans. The Jews didn't want the Romans to be ruling over them, and yet here is this guy who's becoming rich because he's collaborating with the Romans. And then on the other side, you have a man called Simon the Zealot. There were people who wanted to overthrow the Roman government, not Rome itself, but they wanted to overthrow their rule over Judea. And those were the Zealots. So obviously the Zealots, how do you think they're going to feel about somebody who's a collaborator? <laughs> they're not going to look very kindly on them at all. So we have, in this group of disciples, we have disciples who are at opposite ends of the spectrum politically. They also had expectations of Jesus. You remember when Andrew came to his brother Peter, he said, I found the Messiah. They believed based upon what John the Baptist had said and was telling them that Jesus was, or they hoped, let's put it this way, and believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, you and I know the Messiah, what that means. That means a Savior who's going to die on the cross for our sins, who's going to be raised three days later and come to live in our lives through the Holy Spirit. But, of course, that's not what they were expecting from the Messiah. There is a book that's called the song, uh, Psalms of Solomon. And in the Psalms of Solomon, we read, this, this is some expectation of the Messiah. He may purge Jerusalem from nations that trample her down to destruction. He shall be destroyed. Maybe I put that in there wrong. Okay? He shall destroy <laughs> the godless nations with the word of his mouth, and at his rebuke, nations shall flee from him. They were expecting an earthly ruler. They were expecting someone who was going to set up a kingdom. They were expecting someone who was going to be able to free Judea from the Roman Empire. So as they followed him, this is what's in their mind. Understand that, okay? We're following someone who's going to be an earthly leader. We're following someone who's going to set up an earthly kingdom. 
That was the expectation that they had. But not only did they have an expectation, they had a lack of understanding. Well, that's one lack of understanding right there, right? But there were several other places where they had a lack of understanding. You know, Jesus often taught in the parables. And many times, people didn't understand the parables. And neither did the disciples. Let's read this next passage of Scripture here. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, just as a reminder, the Jewish tradition was you had to be ceremonially clean. You had to wash your hands before you ate. Not because your hands were physically dirty. It was a ceremony at that point. And the religious leaders had noticed that Jesus' disciples didn't do that. So Jesus replied, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Stop there for a second. So the Bible says, honor your father or mother. And what they were saying in the Jewish tradition is as the parents get older, the kids are to take care of them. They're to provide for them. Honor didn't just mean honor. It meant providing and taking care of your elderly parents. Now, you could take part of your possessions, and you could say this is dedicated to God. So I'm going to take part of my possessions and I'm going to put them over here. This is dedicated to God and the church. Now, poor mom and dad, I'm sorry I don't have any money. I can't help you. All of my possessions are dedicated to God. And by the way, after your parents died, you could undedicate that and take it back. And it could be yours again. And Jesus is saying, why do you break the command of God? For the sake of your tradition. God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, uh, Jesus, do you know the Pharisees are offended when they heard this? <laughs> you think maybe Jesus already knew that? Yeah, uh, hey, Jesus, uh, you better be careful. The Pharisees don't like what you're saying. They're offended. He replied, every plant that my heavenly father, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, uh, we don't understand this. <laughs> I, we're lost. I, I don't have I have no idea. We have no idea what you're talking about. Would you please explain it to us? And Jesus looked at him and said, duh, duh, 
Am I supposed to say and explain this to you guys? How long have you been with me? And you still don't understand. Yeah, lack of understanding in the parables. There's another passage here. Jesus talked to them about his death and resurrection. Jesus took the 12 off to the side and said, listen carefully. We're on our way up to Jerusalem. Everything written in the prophets about the Son of Man will take place. He will be handed over to the Romans, jeered at, ridiculed, and spit on. Then after giving him the third degree, they will kill him. And in three days, he will rise alive. But they didn't get it. Could make neither heads nor tails of what he was talking about. Well, I mean, can you be surprised? I mean, if you and I had been there and he'd said that to us, would we have understood it? Probably not. A real lack of understanding. One more. This is on Easter Sunday. They left the tomb and broke the news of all this, Jesus' resurrection, obviously, to the eleven and the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them kept telling these things to the apostles. But the apostles didn't believe a word of it. Thought they were making it all up. Can you believe what these women are saying to us? Here are these women. You can't believe a word they're saying. You know, they go out, they go to the tomb. You know, we, we saw that big rock. There was a big rock there in front of that tomb. There's no way... If somebody rolled that rock away, there's no, people don't just die, and then they're gone and resurrected. Ladies, leave us alone. You know, don't don't keep telling us stories. That's how they felt, because they had that lack of understanding. Not only was there a lack of understanding, uh, they also had, had different personalities. Peter, impulsive, emotional, outspoken. He just, hey, I'm going to go for it, whatever it is. I am here, and you're going to know that I am here. But his brother Andrew, who was the first follower of Jesus, we say he lived in the shadow of his brother Peter, meaning we don't really hear a whole lot about him. We've got Peter out front, so that means Andrew was probably a little more subdued, a little more laid back. And then we have James, son of Zebedee, part of the inner circle. We'll talk about one of the sons of thunder. And John, one of the sons of thunder. Jesus called them the sons of thunder. Why? We don't really know, but they maybe were loud. Maybe they were ready to, you know, well, we'll find out in a few minutes. They were ready to call down fire upon people. (laughs) We're going to see that in a couple of minutes. They were the sons of thunder. But John, who was the younger of the brothers probably, refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, does that mean Jesus didn't love the other disciples? Of course not. But apparently, John felt like there was a special bonding and a special relationship there at that point. And then we have Nathaniel, or Bartholomew, who was a straight shooter. We saw earlier a passage of Scripture where Jesus said to him, and when he, when he came up, he said, here is a man... An Israelite, some versions say, who has no guile. Some versions say, 
Uh, he's a, a straight shooter. Some versions say he doesn't lie. Think about this for just a second. Uh, this particularly one came up during a vacation Bible adventure this last week or two, a couple of weeks ago. So, um, so I, you know, you come up to me and, you know, you're wearing, uh, say, uh, a shirt or a blouse that uh, is bright blue and has some patterns on it and everything else. And so you ask me, say, do um, you like my new blouse, my new shirt? And I'm thinking to myself, but I don't say that to you. I say, those are really pretty colors. <laughs> Has anybody ever done that before? You know, you, you like this? Oh, it's, it's very pretty colors. You know, I like the design on that. You come up to Nathaniel. You say to Nathaniel, "Do you like my new shirt, my new blouse?" That really doesn't look good on you. <laughs> really doesn't look good on you. He was a straight shooter. He was someone who's going to tell it to you like it was. He wasn't going to be mean about it. But he wasn't going to mince any words. You know, that was, that was part, of his, part of his personality. So we've got 12 guys here together. They're following somebody that they believe is going to be the new king of Israel. They believe he's going to set up a kingdom. Well, if you're following somebody who's going to be a king and you're one of his 12 inner circle, so to speak, his disciples, what do you think you want? You want to be sure that when his kingdom comes, you know, that you're, I mean, there, there are 12 guys here. So uh, maybe we need to talk to Jesus about being a part of his kingdom in a way that the others aren't. They maneuvered for power. Let's look at the scripture. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, isn't that just kind of telling right there? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. If somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, uh, would you just do whatever I ask you to do? That's different than saying, Would you do something for me? Well, what do you want? Would you do whatever I ask you to do? Um, what is it? <laughs> you, you know right away, you know right away that there's something going on there. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other one at your left in glory. Jesus said, you do not know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Oh, we can, they answered. Oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're ready, we're rocking, ready to go. Jesus said, you will drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism Baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, there is another passage of Scripture in which their mother comes and asks. <laughs> so you're not really sure which way, but mom, a parent, might have well been involved in this, all right? I can just see this Jewish mom now. Boys? You're hanging out with this guy who's the Messiah. There are 10 others there. Now, you need to get your place set up so that when he comes into his kingdom, you know you're going to be on his right and on his left hand. Either you go ask him or I will. 
And again, we don't really know exactly what happened, but it appears as though she was involved in this at one point or another. And so she might have been the one. We don't know, okay? It's just supposition. She might have been the one who was kind of pushing behind scenes and said, I want my boys to be up there. I want them to have positions of power. But Jesus said, it's not for me to give. Yeah. You're going to drink the cup I drink and baptize, be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But, you know, I cannot grant you what you ask. So we've got some who are maneuvering for power. And the result is others became angry with each other. Let's look at this next passage. When the other ten heard of this conversation, they lost their tempers with James and John. Wait a minute. What do you guys think you're doing? You're going behind our backs, and you're trying to get positions of power so that you can be better than us and have positions that we're not going to have? That's not going to happen. They lost their tempers. Jesus got them together. He heard what's going on. <laughs> to settle things down. Now, you have observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, he said. And when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. This is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for many who are held hostage. So you know, Jesus comes down pretty hard on them. And he says, you know, you've you got to settle down. You've got to become servant of one another. But I'm not really sure they learned their lesson because they argued about who was going to be the greatest. Let's look at this passage. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? So they're walking down the road, you know, having a good old time. Jesus is taking them where they're going to go. And he hears mumbling and grumbling behind him. He hears them, they come to the house and he sits them down and says, by the way, did I hear a little bit of commotion behind me? Did I hear you guys arguing? What were you arguing about? <laughs> Look at that. But they kept quiet. On the way, they'd argue about who was the greatest. They, they weren't, they weren't going to tell him. Uh-oh. Oh, Jesus, we were just arguing about who's going to be the greatest. No. Hey, what were you guys arguing about? Nothing. Nothing. What do you mean arguing? We weren't arguing about anything. Not a thing. Not a thing. We're just zip our lips. I mean, not even Peter said anything, apparently, because they were quiet. But Jesus knew what was going on, didn't he? Please sat them down, and he called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of them all. Does it seem like this was a lesson that had to be taught maybe to them more than once, possibly? That's a hard lesson 
to learn. And sometimes something else rears up, and Jesus has to keep coming back over and over again. It says, you know, your goal is not to be first. Your goal is to be last. Have you ever stood in a, in a really long line to get a ticket or something else? Did you want to be last? <laughs> I didn't want to be last. This line's an hour long. You know, this line's 30 minutes long. And you know what we do? We start complaining. Yeah, because we don't want to be. We don't want to be last. Not at all. Now, I don't know if this will come as a surprise to you or not, but they could be cliquish. The 12 could be cliquish. Look at this. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Hey, you know, we're following you, Jesus. We are here with you. We're doing what you tell us to do. And there's some guy over there who's doing things in your name. He's not a part of us. Why should he be allowed to say he's doing this in the name of Jesus? We're the ones who are doing things in the name of Jesus, not that person over there. Tell him to stop it. He's not a part of us. He's not one of us. Jesus said, oh, guys, come off it. There's no click. We're all one. We're together. And you know, sometimes in the churches, there can be clicks, and that's not a good thing. And one of the things we always want when people walk in those doors and then walk in the doors to come in here is that People would feel like, they're, even though some of us have been here for 30 years and we know each other really, really well, it's not a click that people can't become a part of. But you know, one of the things that has to happen in order to avoid that is for each one of us, even when it's hard to do, is to get out of ourselves and to talk to people we don't normally talk to. And say, hey, glad you're here today. Even if you don't know their name, you don't even have to ask them their name. You can say, good to see you today, even if you don't know their name. Because when somebody, you say to some, somebody says to you, how, does it, how do you feel when somebody says to you, it's good to see you today? Well, great. That's good. And you can even ask a question. How was your week? You know, or it's a beautiful day outside, whatever it is. You know? Sometimes it, what happens, though, think about this for a second. It's easy, number one, a lot of us sit in the same seats every week. Nothing wrong with that. We talk to the same people who are sitting next to us and behind us. Nothing wrong with that. 
But I want to encourage you to get outside of that at times as you're walking around. Don't just walk by somebody. Say hello. Because when new people come in the door, how many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you have ever gone into a church to visit because you were on vacation or whatever the reason was? You walked in the door, you sat down, you were a part of the service, you walked out the door, and nobody said a blasted word to you. It was kind of like, they didn't care I was here. Has that ever happened? It has for a lot of, a lot of us. So, you know, Jesus said, you know, no clicks. We don't want to be clickish at that point. At one point, these guys wanted some retribution. Let's see this next passage. As the time approached for him, Jesus, to be taken up into heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, probably to find a place to stay, okay? More than likely, he says, getting ready for him. He probably wanted a place to stay for him and his disciples that night. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, let's stop there for just a second. Some of you may remember that the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. There was enmity there. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans. The Samaritans didn't like the Jews. So it's very possible that when they came in to get things ready, they, the disciples may have said, hey, we need a place for us and the master to stay. We're on our way to Jerusalem. And these people said, you're on your way to Jerusalem. You're Jews. We don't want to have anything to do with you. you know, forget it. That's it. You know, we're not, we're not going to help you out. We're not going to provide you with a place to stay. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? I mean, they were ready to go. Boom, let's just destroy. They figured Jesus has the power. <laughs> and we can do it. We can get rid of these people. They're not for us. They're against us. Let's knock them all out. But Jesus turned, and what did he do? He rebuked them. Not how things work. And, you know, they, what happened was they, got, they became angry. Because someone rejected them and rejected Jesus. And they felt like, this should not happen. You do not know who is here. You don't know. We've got the king. We've got the Messiah here. And you're turning him away? Well, you're going to take care of that? Then we're going to take care of you. Boom, you're done. You're dead. Gone. All over with. Jesus said, no. That's not going to happen. And Jesus rebuked them. There was also, in the midst of all of this, there was an inner circle. I don't want to use the word favoritism here, because I don't know it's favoritism. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? But there were 12 disciples. And of the 12, there were three who Jesus took with him on certain occasions, just the three of them. And that's Peter, James, and John. The transfiguration. You remember when Jesus went up on the mountain? And Elijah and Moses were there? Peter, James, and John were a part of that. 
The rest of the 12 were not. And then when Jairus came to Jesus and said, my daughter is dead, would you come? My daughter is dead. They all went to Jairus' house, but they went into the girl's room. Jesus took Peter, James, and John. And Jesus raised that daughter from the dead. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus went alone to pray before his death, he asked Peter, James, and John also to go with him. Now, I don't have an answer why these three were a part of what we call the inner circle. I really don't know why. Maybe it's possible that Jesus knew something about their hearts, their devotion, their commitment to him. I don't really know. But we recognize that even in our world today, there are probably some people who, I don't want to call it an inner circle, but there are some people that God shares more with than others. And it may be because those, the hearts of those people are more in tune with his. I, I don't really know. I, I really can't say. But we understand, though, in this particular case, that Jesus did have that, that inner circle. And then, you know what these disciples wanted? They went to Jesus, and they wanted to know, Jesus, what's in this for us? Mm-hmm. What's in it for us? Let's take a look at this next passage. Peter chimed in and said, Lord, we left everything and followed you. Uh, what do we get out of this, huh? All right. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've given you three years of our time. What, what are we going to get? Obviously, we need something out of this. And Jesus said, yes, you have followed me. And the recreation of the world, when the Son of Man will rule gloriously, you who have followed me will also rule, starting with the 12 tribes of Israel, and not only you, but anyone who sacrifices home, family, fields, and whatever because of me will get it all back 100 times over, not to mention the considerable bonus of eternal life. I'd say that's a pretty good bonus right there. This is the great reversal. Many of the first ending up last and the last yeah, what do we get out of this? You ever felt like that sometimes? Ever? All right, God, I've, what's in it for me? Come on, come on. What am I going to get? And finally, they were weak and fearful. So let's take a look at this. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judah said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, Jesus said, that you have come out for me with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And then everyone deserted him and fled. disciples. They were scared. They were weak. And as a result of that, they left. Let's do a quick review. 
we've seen a variety of things about the disciples. They were ordinary people, they had different occupations, differing politics, expectations of Jesus that were wrong, differing personalities, they maneuvered for power, they became angry with each other, they argued about who was the greatest, they were cliquish, wanted retribution, there was an inner circle, they asked what's in it for us, and they were weak and fearful. Now the thing to recognize is that you know, Jesus prayed for them. And this was Jesus' prayer for them and for us. He said, I am praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me. Because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them. So they'll be as unified and together as we are, I in them and you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved them in the same way you've loved me. And we're going to come back to this in just a second. The thing to recognize and to remember is that after Jesus' death and resurrection and after the day of Pentecost, were these disciples the same men they were before? You know the answer to that. They weren't. Instead of being weak and fearful, what were they? They were bold. They spoke out. Instead of having a lack of understanding of who Jesus was, they understood what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah. They didn't fully possibly understand all of his parables, but they had a better understanding of those things that they had seen, that they had experienced, that they had heard after Jesus' death and resurrection in the day of Pentecost. They were different people. And what Jesus wanted for them was that they would become one heart and one mind. It doesn't mean that they all think alike. It doesn't mean that they all do the same thing. But it means to have the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ as they're living their lives. God called them to follow him. They continued to follow him. So let me ask you this question. When Jesus says, follow me, they made an initial decision to follow him. They made that initial decision. They said, we will follow you. Could any one of them have chosen at any time during those three years to go back home? Yeah, absolutely they could have. If they had done that, would they have been following Jesus at that point? I don't think so. They'd be home. Most of us make an initial decision in our lives to follow Jesus. But is that the only time we decide to follow Jesus? These disciples decided every day they got up to do what? Jesus said, let's go. We're going to Capernaum. So they, they followed him. 
Jesus said, let's go. We're going to go to the Sea of Galilee. What did they do? They followed him every day. Not that one decision. Every day they made a decision to follow him. Now, they, did they think about it? Was it a, a conscious decision? We're going to follow Jesus today? We're going to follow Jesus today? No. It was an action. It was, a, it was an act of will. They just did it because of what they had chosen to do. There are times that many of us have seen or maybe ourselves have done. Someone said, I'm going to become a follower of Jesus. I'm going to become a Christian. And then something happens in their life and they quit following Jesus. Now, does that mean they're no longer a Christian anymore? I, I don't really know. Okay? I can't answer that question. Does that mean they're not going to go to heaven? I don't really know. I can't answer that question. What I can say is this. There are times, even if it's not a lifestyle, there are times that those of us who are deciding to follow Jesus may decide, for whatever reason, on a certain day, at a certain time, not to follow him and to go a different way. If and when we do that, Jesus' invitation is still there. Come follow me. Come back. Come follow me. And what he wants us to do is to continue on a daily basis to follow him. He also wants us to be one mind and one heart. Some of us here struggle financially day to day. Some of us here don't have any financial struggles. Some of us here graduated from college. Some of us here may have barely graduated from high school. Some of us here are Republicans. Some of us are Democrats. Some of us are independents. And some of us don't know who we are. <laughs> We're still not sure. When we are one mind and one heart, we can receive each other regardless of who we are and where we are in the spectrum of life. And when we are one heart and one mind, we can do that with love. We can do that with forgiveness. We can do that with grace. We can do that with joy. That's what God calls us to do. Because we're one. We are one. So as you think about this, I'm going to ask you to stand for just a minute. I want to encourage you. You don't have to necessarily think every day when you get up, I'm going to follow Jesus. But there are going to be some times that God's going, Jesus is going to say, come follow me. And you're going to say, I will. Sometimes those are hard. Meaning, Jesus is asking us to do something that we don't really want to do. Love somebody that we don't want to love. Accept someone that we don't want to accept. Be gracious to someone that we don't want to be gracious to. But I'm going to back up for just a second when I say what we don't want to do. Because Jesus lives in you and he lives in me. 
And the Jesus in me and the Jesus in you wants to do all of those things. Even when our flesh, we don't want to. So Jesus' invitation to you and to me today and every day is very simple. Come, follow me. And as we do that, we will see the life of Christ exhibited in our lives and those around us. So I want to encourage you to do that this week. If you're not staying for the healing service, I would encourage you feel free to leave and leave quietly. If you are staying for the healing service, feel free to be seated. We're going to be praying for you in a few minutes. So go ahead and go on. And those of you who are going to be doing the praying, if you can find the person that you're going to be praying with, and we're going to scatter out We'll have five different stations around here. And in a few minutes, we will invite you to come. Uh, If you don't know the people that you're talking to, please invite, please please tell them who you are. (laughs) Tell them your name. They know who you are. So those of you who are staying, feel free to be seated. And the rest of you, we'll see you next week.